welcome back to the Politics Unboxed podcast. My name is Rhys and today's podcast is going to be the first or in our new series which is going to be called Brexit and Beyond. So um, this is going to be where I'm going to take a look at news stories relating to either the transition period, um, any future negotiations between the UK and the, the EU uh, or Anything that is related either uh, in domestic or international affairs to Britain's departure from the European Union and the future relationship between the, the two groups, as they are now distinct and separate as of uh, January the 31st, which was uh, only a couple of days ago as I record this. So yeah, this is probably going to get attached to the other three episodes I've done on Brexit, so don't be too surprised if this has popped up in some of your timelines as uh, an episode four, because I have done three three previous episodes on something to do with Brexit. So this is going to be probably episode four in our series, Brexit and Beyond, but the first as a sort of the relaunch of it. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is... Leo Varadkar's statements. So he's, he made them yesterday in an interview with the BBC's Andrew Marshall. And quite interestingly, he has an election coming up. Now, he called this election for, I think, early March. And he called it this early in order so that the Republic of Ireland could have a new head of government installed before the European Council meets to discuss the future relationship between Britain and the European Union. So this this election has really been called because of this Brexit area, so that Ireland could have stability throughout the process rather than chopping and changing at the start of it. Uh, but Veronica has warned that difficulties in forming a government in the Republic of Ireland could have some ramifications on the post-Brexit trade deal with, uh, with Britain. So... Um, at the moment, the polls in this Irish election are close. You have Sinn Féin, uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Uh, I apologise if I have butchered those names uh, or the Gaelic uh, pronunciations of them, but that's how I'm going to go with them for the time being until someone corrects me. But at the moment, Sinn Féin are slightly ahead in the polls. I think they were on about 26%. Um, Fianna Fáil, again 24%, and Fine Gael, um, I think 24% as well, so it's all very close. At the moment, Varadka is in a confidence and supply agreement. He is leader of Fine Gael, and his agreement is with Fianna Fáil, but uh, he has ruled out forming a coalition with Sinn Féin. Um, he has actually labelled the Sinn Féin position soft on crime and high on tax, and enormously dangerous for the Irish economy. So that if there was to be any situation with, of a hung parliament where a Fine Gael-Sinn Féin coalition would be something that Ireland were looking for, or that could provide a government for Ireland, uh, Varadka, the current Taoiseach, so the Prime Minister, has ruled that out, which could put um, the future of Irish government in the hands of Fianna Fáil again, even if they are the third largest party, as the polls are currently predicting, in the election. So um, how would this all impact on EU 
trade talks? Well, um, Leah Riker has said that any trade talks between the EU and the UK need to start off on a better footing than maybe was the case after the referendum. So obviously, after the referendum, there were a lot of red lines that were put in place. Um, Theresa May's infamous red lines, uh, which some people on both sides of this debate feel were not conducive to a good negotiating process. So I think Leo Varoka there is just putting out his feelings that he hopes there will be perhaps a more amicable negotiation this time round. Um, Leo Varadkar is keen to not repeat the same errors that were made in the first two and a half years. Uh, those red lines he has actually explicitly mentioned. Uh, he said they made it hard to come to an agreement. And he wanted to tone down this nationalist rhetoric, which would be much harder to do if Sinn Féin were uh, in power. Because Sinn Féin, they exist on both sides of the partition in Ireland. They exist in Northern Ireland as a political party. And they did quite well in the 2019 general election, winning... I think seven seats in Parliament. Obviously they don't take them because they have a policy which says they don't take their seats, but they're still one vote in those constituencies nonetheless. And if the polls are right, they're going to be the largest party in the Republic of Ireland after their general election. And one of Sinn Féin's overarching policies is that they would like to see a reunified Ireland of Ireland. Um, Sinn Féin in Northern Ireland want to see Northern Ireland leave the UK and join the rest of the Republic of Ireland, and Sinn Féin in the Republic of Ireland want to see the exact same thing. So if Sinn Féin were seen to be winning across the island of Ireland, that could promote a, a border poll in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, um, which could see Northern Ireland uh, reunited with the Republic. And it certainly wouldn't tone down this nationalist rhetoric because Sinn Féin in Northern Ireland are a nationalist party, as they are in the Republic of Ireland. So if there were two strong areas of Sinn Féin representation, it would not be any way to turning down that relationship. For Rekarenda's interview, uh, he doesn't think there's going to be a race to the bottom on issues, sort of pay and workers' rights issues. Um, if Boris Johnson does go down that road, um, he, he, hopes, he hopes he won't, and he hopes that uh, he would have it written into law that there would not be a race to the bottom on issues of pay and workers' rights. Um, it would it would not be, be good for the workers on either side of the Irish Sea, either side of the Channel either, if there was a race to the bottom in terms of workers' rights. Now, another issue which has gained a little bit of traction this time is Boris Johnson's speech. Now, this is today. Uh, he has sort of reiterated the words of his foreign secretary, Dominic Raab, who was on the Andrew Marr show uh, yesterday, so Sunday, the 2nd of February, uh, and Raab said Britain will not be aligning with EU rules in any post-Brexit trade deal. Now, EU alignment is not a red line, and it's not even in the negotiating room. So Dominic Raab uh, has argued agreeing that sticking strongly with the EU in terms of regulations would defeat the point of Brexit. Uh, this, of course, goes against Leo Varadkar, saying the UK needs to commit uh, sort of a level playing field in terms of uh, regulation and alignment uh, in order to get this free trade deal. But the Prime Minister has come down firmly on the side of his Foreign Secretary, saying there is no need for the UK to follow the EU rules on trade. 
that he has today set out his vision for a trade deal with the European Union um, and he is calling, uh, as is probably not too surprising, for a Canada-style free trade deal, um, saying that the UK would even return to the withdrawal agreement if such a deal was not reached. So this Canada-style free trade deal is sort of the, the loosest of these alignments that was being proposed. So we had various different agreements that were being banded around in the last three and a bit years, sort of uh, Norway, Canada Plus, Single Market, ESTA, EFTA, uh, all sorts of different acronyms and um, different ways of, of labelling different levels of alignment and integration with Europe. But this Canada-style free trade deal is sort of the, the loosest. Um, so it's trying to to keep this uh, this import tariffs on, on goods being eliminated. Um, there are um, some restrictions within this actual Canada deal on financial services because um, well, Canada doesn't rely so much on financial services, but Britain does. Um, this, this Canada deal, um, the official name for the Canada Agreement is CETA, or the Canadian European uh, was it tariff agreement I believe um, it is a zero tariff and zero quota deal well that's what the British people or the British government is portraying it as but it doesn't actually stand for that this actual Canada trade deal does get rid of most but not all tariffs um, so some tariffs remain I think the key ones are eggs meat and poultry um, but it also increases quotas without eliminating them so um, both the signatories can set um, quotas on how much of something they would like to be imported into their their countries to either protect their industries. So if you're having too many imports, it could flood the domestic market. Um, so it does leave quotas in place. Now, and it also doesn't remove border checks. So there's a possibility goods have to be examined at ports uh, just to ensure they are in line with those regulatory requirements and all the paperwork is in order. So. This operation, operation Stack, which was sort of Britain's preparation for a no-deal Brexit, where the, um, lorries would be parked along the motorway towards Folkestone, could still go into operation if there were border checks in this Canada-style free trade deal. Um, obviously, Boris Johnson will be hoping to avoid most of those tariffs. He used his speech talking about unleashing Britain's potential, raising the prospect of a no-deal withdrawal on. December the 31st, 2020, which is when the implementation period of any future agreement would run out. Um, so he has actually raised the prospect of reverting to that WTO terms. If EU chiefs or sort of the, the Brexit negotiating team or Task Force Britain, I believe it's now called, led by Michel Barnier, if they refuse to sign off on a deal which the Prime Minister is looking for, or for which the Prime Minister is looking. Um, so the, the government, uh, or certainly Boris Johnson, trying to, to show that he is very much aiming for this Canada deal, or even uh, an Australian-style deal, just to add an extra term into the, the Brexit mix. And no doubt I'll be going over some more of the details on those different trade talks in the future. Um, but it's clear now that the government's priority is to try and get a free trade deal within the next 11 months, but that it seems the government is preparing 
uh, or at least um, showing that it would be prepared to withdraw on WTO terms after this uh, period. One final thing I do want to, to raise a point of, um, there is a lot of feeling in Scotland uh, from the SNP, uh, the Liberal Democrats, um, people up there who, who performed rather better uh, in terms of, of winning seats are the more Remain parties in Scotland. And there's a lot of emotion up there that they do not want to be out of the European Union. And something interesting that Donald Tusk has said, the former EU Council president, has said he has empathy for an independent Scotland joining the European Union. Now, now Nicola Sturgeon had used a speech a day or so ago to say that an independent Scotland would try to join the European Union. Uh, and Mr Tusk was interviewed, um, interviewed by, uh, I believe it was Andrew Marr, um, and he said there would be enthusiasm for, um, for an independent Scotland joining the EU. He did say that the country would not be automatically accepted into the European Union, but this show of empathy, show of enthusiasm, could embolden these uh, SNP MPs and the MSPs, um, which would be beneficial to their cause, potentially, if they could see a route into the European Union without being a member of the UK, uh, which is obviously something that the SNP are fighting for. They are uh, Part of their party platform is to seek independence for Scotland and then also to uh, rejoin the European Union, as it would be now. There is no argument for Remain anymore. That is gone. We are left. So it is now time to, if that is the party position, campaign for rejoining. One thing Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab did say, he warned those comments by Mr Tusk could uh, encourage separatist tendencies, um, which he said would be rather un-European and irresponsible. Um, perhaps harking back to memories of the Catalan independence movement, which ended in a consultative referendum, which was won decisively by the the uh, separation campaign, but was ruled unconstitutional and the separation was not allowed to happen by the, the Madrid government. Um, so obviously not anticipating the levels of, of civil unrest that we have seen in Catalonia in Scotland, but uh, Nicola Sturgeon has not ruled a consultative referendum off the table and these comments could potentially be, as I said earlier, emboldening to those SNP activists and those people who want to see an independent Scotland within the European Union. That is just about all that I have time for today on, on this podcast. So thank you very much for listening. I think tomorrow's one we're going to be having a look at the 2020 presidential election and specifically the Iowa caucus, which is this evening. So keep an eye out for that one tomorrow. But thank you very much for listening. I hope to see you around for the next one and goodbye. Thank you.